18, while the young people are dismissed, Luke chapter 18. All right, good to see a good group of young people. Every Sunday it's a blessing. Luke chapter 18. We live today in a very selfish society. People are obsessed with self. I was thinking about this the other day, and you know, sometimes folks come down hard on old people today and older folks, but tomorrow's old people are going to be terrible, if you think about it. This, just wait 50 years and look at the old people then. For example, you go to your grandmother's house today, and she's going to pull out pictures, and you'll see a picture. This is your great-grandfather on the day that we liberated the Jews from the Nazi prison camp. This is your grandmother, the first woman to graduate college in our family. This is your father about to go off and fight for our country in the Middle East. The people in the future are going to be a little different. Here's a picture of me in the bathroom mirror when I was 23. Here is a 45 pictures of my face. We call those duck lips back in our day. And here is my dinner from somewhere in 19 or 2019. You know, that's the pictures are going to be floating around in the future. We are obsessed with self. I mean, do you remember when we had uh, film? Do you remember that in our cameras? You had to put film in your cameras, and then you only took pictures that were worthy because you did not want to waste the film. And then uh, about six months later, when you finally finished the roll, you went and dropped it off at the corner drugstore at Walmart, and then you waited a week, went and got the pictures, picked them up. And then, uh, do you remember when you took one of those pictures and went door to door to all your neighbors to show them a picture of something you cooked? Neither do I. We didn't do that back then. Amen? Today, though, there's a self-obsession. I mean, everything's about us. Everything's about me, me, me. If we were cows, we would say me instead of move. Uh, I want to look today at a parable of a man just like this, someone who was obsessed with himself, and it's a parable that in its day would have shocked the listener. And I'll tell you why as we go through it. We're in Luke chapter 18, verse number 9. The Bible says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted themselves that, were, that they were righteous and despised others. There's two things that are happening here. They were those which trusted themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift so up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I want to preach today on outside in or inside out. Outside in or inside out. Father, I pray you'd help us as we look at this text of this passage. May we learn something from it to be a help to us in Jesus' name. Amen. The man who looks so good ends up bad. The man who looks so bad ends up good. It would have been a shocking story to hear in that day and age. And we don't have to look very far to see the purpose of the parable. He tells us exactly that in verse 9. Uh, it was given to those 
who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. It was a twofold audience it was given to. Not only those that uh, had a self-righteous security, those that trusted in themselves uh, that they were righteous. Also, they had a self-righteous scorning. They despised others. Now, these two are related. I want to look at both of them, the self-righteous security. Certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. These people trusted in their own works to gain their salvation. They did not think they needed Christ. They thought that they were good enough in themselves. They were going to stand before God and He would be so impressed with their life and their good deeds, He would let them into heaven. They thought that they made God their debtor and that He owed them. Uh, owed them eternal life, owed them blessings in life. No one illustrates this self-righteous thinking more than this Pharisee. And the prayer of the Pharisee in this parable is a demonstration of this attitude. But the Pharisees, though, are not alone in this thinking, the way that he prayed. In fact, people then and people now think that they're good enough to make it into heaven. They take great pride in reciting uh, their so-called spiritual achievements. In fact, if you start a poll, and, and we can call it door-to-door -door visitation or uh, personal soul winning, whatever you want to call it, uh, when you start asking people the question, do you know that if something happened to you today, would you be in heaven? And most people, by and large, most people will say, yes, I think I'd be in heaven. If you ask them why, they, there are many answers, but uh, because uh, the, of the life that I lead, I'm a good person. Well, the Bible tells us there is none good, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. And so we have to make sure that we don't trust in ourselves, but certain of a ticket to heaven, most people do not mind uh, giving you that information. They're as lost as a ball in high weeds, and yet don't even know it. Now, it is infinitely easier, I think you'd agree, to lead someone to Christ who is uh, humbly aware and burdened down of their sin than it is the self-righteous person. That is why the Bible says that more publicans and harlots and sinners followed Christ than did the Pharisees. We'll see that verse in a moment. But not only the self-righteous security, but uh, it is given to rebuke self-righteous scorning, despised others. This word despised means to consider or treat as nothing. Now, it is the habit of men for us when we elevate ourselves to try to push others down. It's just a natural, they go hand in hand. It is the true character of the self-righteous person. They were like those in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 5. Have you ever seen this attitude before? Stand by thyself. Come not near unto me, for I am holier than thou. That's a real sweet person to be around, isn't it? Those are just a real pleasure to spend time with. That's who this parable's given to. All right, so let's start to break it down. We look at the Pharisee in the parable first. The Pharisee belonged to one of the prominent religious parties in Jesus' day. They were enemies of Christ. They were always criticizing him. Now, just to set the context of the day, I want to make sure we understand, uh, to be called a Pharisee today would be an insult. As I stand in the back in a few minutes, and as you come by, if I took your hand and say, you know what I think of you? I think you're just a Pharisee. Well, you would take offense at that, and rightly so, because of how we look at it today. Not in Jesus' day. Man, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the creme de la creme of society. They were the most God-honoring, or so they thought. They uh, obeyed all the rules. They looked the best. They were the 
top of the pile and it was not an insult and so they were widely admired. And when you read this story, uh, we then when we see about a Pharisee going up to pray, we're not supposed to think, ah, Pharisee. We're supposed to think how fitting a Pharisee. That's how this society saw it that day. Now, on the surface, everything the Pharisee said was true. If you look at his prayer, uh, he says, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Indeed, he wasn't like other men are. He had a standard of morality that was far above others. He said, I fast twice a week. That was literally true. Pharisees uh, practiced fasting on Mondays and Thursdays uh, every week. When he says, I give tithes of all I possess, he went beyond the law of Moses. When he said, I'm not a crook, he really wasn't a crook. When he says, I'm not like that publican, he certainly was not like that publican. When he says, I, didn't commit, I don't commit adultery, he really did not commit adultery. But notice here, it, it reminds you of the statement, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Amen? That's, that's how he thought of himself. But notice how he prays. When he, when he says, I thank you, Lord, I, I think that's funny because when you start the prayer with God, I thank thee, you would think that you would have something to say about something that God has done, but that's the last mention of God in that prayer because then it becomes all about himself. Uh, he says, God, I thank thee, and that's the last reference you find. Jesus is showing here in this verse astounding self-worship. Underneath this appearance of God-centeredness is really nothing more than a self-centeredness. And we see it clearly in his prayer. He thinks of himself, I am so much better. He's a man so full of himself. If you could sell him for what he's worth, or uh, if you could buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, you'd never have to work again in your life. Uh, that truly, the greatest of all faults is to be conscious of none. And here was a man that was conscious of none. Look at his practice. Two men went up at the temple to pray and one a Pharisee. The Pharisees... We're not the only ones who prayed regularly at the temple. Good people did. Uh, many people went and had regular times of prayer. By the way, uh, a regular time of prayer is a great practice for any child of God, isn't it? Each and every one of us ought to have regular times of prayer. We see in Acts 3, uh, verse 1, that Peter and John both went into the temple in the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. But here is the thing about prayer. Some prayers are accepted by God, and some are not. In fact, I thought... Uh, one day I'll preach a message on the prayers that aren't heard, the prayers that are heard, because there are some in the Bible that aren't heard. In fact, ever since the first, Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord. One was accepted, one was not. Uh, there are some prayers who are not answered, and we see one here. Uh, his posture, look at it, he, the Bible says the Pharisees stood, verse 11. It was the habit of the Pharisees to do all that they did, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 5, all their works they do is to be seen of men. They wanted to be thought of as holy, and they wanted to be thought of as pious. So he stood where he would get most of the attention of the people. His posture would be one of the most reverence as possible as he lifted his eyes and prayed loudly to the Lord. In contrast, you see the publican is standing afar off. He didn't want to be close because the publican was not interested in getting a hold of man Publican was interested in getting a hold of God, which was what was important. His, it, we not only see his practice, his posture, but his prayer. Look at the obnoxious prayer he has. And in the prayer, we're going to begin to see the outside-in approach to living. I want to look at both the outside-in and the inside-out approach to life. 
the Pharisee prayed this prayer, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. (laughs) Man, that's pretentious, isn't it? Imagine having that kind of attitude. Well, sometimes we have that kind of attitude, but we wouldn't say it out loud. But imagine thinking that. I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, that I'm me. What a pretentious prayer. Notice the outside in strategy. We see externalism here in this man. His understanding of sin and righteousness is 100% external. It's all about the outside. He's focused on his behavior and his keeping of the rules. It's not looking on the inside. It's not looking at his character. It is looking only outside at his behavior. So when sin is perceived completely in terms of individual actions. That's what he did here. I do not rob. I do not commit adultery. I do not cheat. I give 10% of my money to the church. I fast. And he said twice a week, which by the way, Scripture did not require him to fast twice a week. In fact, Scripture does not require us to fast anywhere. It says we should. It says there's some prayers that won't be answered except we do pray pray and fast. But uh, he was going beyond what the Bible says. And then saying, I do all my religious duties. Notice he did not say, Lord, thank you for making me a kinder person. Thank you for building the patience. You know, I'm able to love those that I'm not able, used to not be able to love. I thank you for allowing me to have peace and contentment and joy even when things go wrong. No, no. He is absolutely externally focused. His view of his own life is completely oriented to his behavior, keeping the rules. This is outside-in behavior. The Pharisee glories in what he is, not like other men. He glories in what he does. I fast twice a week. He glories in what he gives. I give tithes. And here we see his separatism. The separatism is defined as the practice of separation from a larger body on the basis of ethnicity, religion, or gender. This is different for the purpose of our study today. It will be different than the word separation. Because I am all for a life of separation. We ought to act, talk, and and live differently than a lost and dying world. Would you agree with me there? We ought to be separated in that way. But he was guilty of much more. By the way, let me just clear this up further. The Bible definition of separation is to be set apart for some purpose. Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Uh, I am all for separation for the right purpose. But we have to note, Clearly, that separation from without a separation to is simply living a separatist life, and it is pointless, fruitless, and it's not going to help. And by the way, it can be very dangerous. Let me give you an example. God comes to Abram all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. He says, get thee out. That separate. That separate yourself. And uh, from thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto that separation from and separation to. We have to have both in our life if we're going to live the right kind of Christian life. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, separated, that's separated from. And then he says, unto, that's separated to, the gospel of God. The perfect example of this is marriage. When I said, I do, to my wife, which is the second best decision I ever made after salvation, I was separating myself. If you said, I do to your mate, you also were separating yourself. I did not, at that moment, standing in front of my dad, my father-in-law, and my friends and family being present, I did not bemoan the 
all the broken-hearted girls of the world who would never have the privilege of marrying me. I separated to someone. You see the difference? I did separate from, yes. But it wasn't really, wasn't even thinking about the separation from. I was thinking about the separation to. And if we as a child of God only separate from, but we do not separate to, then we're going to have a separatist, holier-than-thou thinking about us, that like this man did. He was a separatist. He only separated from. In verse 11, he says, He stood and prayed thus with himself. He stood away from everyone else. You see it in his body language and his verbal language. I am not like them. It's a repulsive recitation, his prayer is. It exalted self. It dishonored God and man. Separatism is like this. If you conceive of sin only as being completely external, then sin will always be over there and it won't be in here. And this is how that man saw it. He did not see himself as guilty. No, no. He was holier than everybody else. I thank thee that I am not as other men are. What a rascal, pretentious way to look at himself. But externalism always leads to separatism. If you have an externalist understanding of sin, you'll have a separatist view of life. You will never stoop yourself to talk to a sinner. You. You'll separate. You'll be... You'll keep your nose in the air and keep away from people of a lesser class and those that aren't as spiritual as you are if we have this pharisaical type of attitude. He's living outside in. Guess what? It doesn't work. The outside in approach says that we start on the outside. It's all about our actions, our behavior. That's why people look down their nose at others who are different than them. It's outside in living. Look at this self-obsession in his prayer again. He loved himself. A man wrapped up in himself presents a mighty small package. I believe he wore glasses. See, how do you know he wore glasses? Well, he had an eye problem. Five times in his prayer, he says the word I. He says it twice in verse 11. In verse 12, he says it three times. He was stuck on himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. This Pharisee was thankful. Really, that they were not like him is what he was thankful for. Now, God wisely designed the human body that we can neither pat ourselves on the back nor kick ourselves too easily. Uh, but he certainly was trying to pat himself on the back, lifting himself up. Uh, he was living outside in. Look at the scorning, or even as this publican. The Pharisee is not satisfied with commending himself. He poured contempt on others, particularly this publican standing down the way from him. He, rather than insulting the publican, how about the Pharisee would have interceded for him. Wouldn't that have been nice? Or prayed for him. But the Pharisee did not care if the publican went to hell. Uh, where he should have had compassion, he only had contempt. And I tell you, friends, it is a sad day when we are surrounded by sinners and we have no compassion for them. That's what we ought to have always as a church. But this Pharisee only lived outside in. Now let's look at the publican in the parable. The publican was a renegade Jew. That's what a publican was. He assisted in collecting taxes for Rome. And he was no good. He would rob you blind. Uh, give a little money to the Romans and then he would keep the rest for himself. He was an extortioner. So the Pharisee correctly called him that. He was an extortioner. I bet there wasn't anyone in all of Israel who was any more hated than the publicans were. The tax collectors, the turncoats, 
the ones who were really working for the enemy. And when I say that he was a dirty, rotten sinner, I'm not saying any more than he said about himself in his prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. All people in that day knew that publicans were sinners. But can I tell you today, friend, the worst sinners often make the best candidates for salvation. Salvation is not a gift to the righteous. It is a, or it's not a reward to the righteous. It is a gift to the guilty. And so it was for him. Notice his place in the public and standing afar off. Uh, he was standing away from where the Pharisee was standing. The place of the publican uh, here it reflected his humility. He was very humble. The Pharisee was very proud. The publican felt unworthy to be in the presence of God. And the Pharisee thought that the presence of God was lucky to have him in it. That's how he thought of himself. Look at his posture. Would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven. The publican was also standing when he prayed. But unlike the Pharisee, which probably spread his arms and looked up toward heaven, the Bible says that he, he felt too unworthy to look up. He was so guilty. Men who are conscious of guilt often fix their eyes to the ground. We see that in Ezra. When Ezra prayed, Ezra 9, 6, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to Thee. That type of prayer, by the way, is pleasing to the Lord. A prayer of humility. In Psalm 51, 17, the Bible says, A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, Thou wilt not despise. We don't only see His place and His posture, but His pounding as well. Look what the Bible says. He smote upon His breast. Now, to strike the breast is an expression of grief or anguish in view of his sins. The publican did not need to be convinced that he's a sinner. By the way, this is the attitude that everyone who comes to Christ has to have if they're going to be saved. We have to recognize that we are sinners. And there's nothing that we can do about that sin. Uh, even our righteousness, the Bible says, are as filthy rags in Isaiah 4, 64, 6. If our righteousness are as filthy rags to God, imagine the awful stench that our sins must be to God. There's nothing we can do about Him, only through Jesus Christ. Then see His prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Everything about this prayer is opposite than the prayer we see by the Pharisee. The publican thought himself unworthy. The Pharisee boasted of his worthiness. The publican found only evil in himself. The Pharisee found only good in himself. The publican put his hope in mercy. The Pharisee put his hope in merit. Look at the direction for the prayer. He starts it out saying, God. The, the publican went to the right source for help. Amen. Uh, he Today we seek psychiatrists, psychologists, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of different sources to help us deal with our problems. Uh, but we, we need to not seek for help from our problems apart from God. I'm not saying uh, that... that uh, mental health professionals don't have a place. Of course they do. But so many times we try to deal with a sin problem with a worldly solution and it's never going to work. Leave God out and you'll only multiply your problems. That's what's, I believe, happening to our society today. We've pushed God out. And when we push God out, He always leaves like a gentleman. God leaves where He's not wanted. And we've seen Him leave our schools and what's become of it. Amen? We've seen Him leave our government and what's become of it. And we better not let Him leave our churches or we'll be in real, real bad shape. And so, uh, that we, we cannot push God out and hope to have, a, re, have a, a, a solution for our problems. He went to God. Look at the request, be merciful to me. 
publican pleaded for mercy. He did not plead for merit. The publican's request here proclaims the gospel. The word translated be merciful means to atone, to make reconciliation. It involves blood and it involves a sacrifice. It speaks to Christ dying in our place, shedding his blood for our sins. Now the publican had his theology correct. This is the message of the gospel. Romans chapter 3 verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He understood where this was coming from. The Pharisee, remember, looked within himself. But the publican looked to God. Uh, There's a confession in the prayer as well when he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, in the original language, that article uh, A, me, a sinner, is a definite article. What he was really saying here is that he is the sinner of sinners. Like Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, I'm the chiefest of sinners. The Pharisee thought everybody else was a sinner, but he was good. This publican said, I'm, I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. I'm the one. I'm the one that deserves all, uh, all that is coming to me. If you're thinking of sin only externally, as we were talking about a while ago, and comparatively, comparing yourself to others, then you're always just a sinner. You're never the sinner. And when we come to Jesus Christ for salvation, we had better recognize, I'm the sinner. I'm the one that needs uh, Jesus' salvation. Those who see themselves in light of God's holiness will look at them the way this publican did. Like Job in Job 42.6, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. There's no self-righteousness here with this publican. Now I want to look at the proclamation. When he had finished giving his prayer, it's interesting, in verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other." Now, again, stop and think for a minute how shocking this would be to the listeners. The Pharisee is the greatest person in society. The publican is at the bottom. And here is Jesus saying the publican was justified and not the Pharisee. This would be unheard of in their thinking, in their society. You have to realize how shocking this would be. By the way, in Luke 15, we also see another story where there was a bad man, a son, who went off and wasted all his father's inheritance in riotous living. There was the good boy, the good man, the son that stayed home. But yet, in the end, who was bad and who was good? Uh, this the same thing here. And so, the, uh, the, the Jesus gives stories about bad people being justified and good ones not being justified. Now, human beings have always tried to be their own masters, to be their own gods, and effectively to be their own saviors. There's two ways that we can do this, and and stay with me, this is going to sound at first like it doesn't make any sense, but there's two ways we can be our own gods, our own saviors. One is by breaking all of God's rules, and one is by keeping all of God's rules, but only externally. Let me explain. You take the, uh, the wicked, the publicans, the sinners, the harlots, they do what they want to. I'll, I'll decide what I'm going to do. I'll be my own God. And they do whatever they want to do. They follow their flesh and obey no other. Enter the Pharisee. They live their lives by such strict rules that they think they are safe from any condemnation. They think themselves worthy of God's uh, taking them to heaven. So both of them are replacing God in their own way. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 21, 31, Publicans and harlots go to the kingdom of God before you. The difference is that religious people don't know they're avoiding God. 
non-religious people are usually pretty clear. Yeah, I, I mean, I go to the homeless shelter and I preach there and I, I uh, go to the jail and I preach there and, and these different places. Most of the time people, yeah, I, I know my condition. I know where I'm at. I know my need. Uh, I know I've messed up. You don't have to convince a sinner that he's a sinner. But you take a religious person, you take somebody who, uh, who, who has lived their life in moral ways in their own eyes, and as a result, uh, they'll never believe that they're replacing God with themselves, but that's exactly what they're doing. You put your faith in yourself and your own works to get to heaven, you're, re- you're being your own savior. That's what's happening there. And it never works. And that's why over and over again, Jesus shows the good boy and the bad boy. The bad boy is saved and the good boy is lost. The good man and the bad man. The bad man is saved and the good man is lost. Over and over he shows again. The reason is because the outside-in approach does not work. But not only doesn't it work, it is so destructive because non-religious people and religious people both avoid Christ as Savior in that way. The outside-in approach will deceive us, will deceive our own selves, thinking we're okay. Now I want to look at the inside-out approach. God be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican here is thinking, I, all I know is I'm lost. He realized, I don't care, everybody else doesn't matter. Notice the publican is only focused on his problem. He's not uh, focused on looking at him and comparing himself with others. You think the publican could compare himself with anybody and find himself better? Sure he could. That's not what he was looking at, though. He realized his own sin. And you have to, at some point, In your life, every single one of us have to come to a point where we understand the gospel and are changed by it. And Lord, we might come to Him with, to the Lord, I've always wanted to put you in my debt. That's impossible. I've always wanted to look down on other people. That's a fruitless enterprise. I've always been doing this outside in thing, and it hasn't worked. I'm still trying to make myself approved by God and by others. But He came a different approach. He says, I throw myself at your mercy. God be merciful to me, the sinner. In this way, we find a whole new way of finding approval. Uh, He threw himself into God's mercy. Can I tell you, here's how Christians deal with the problem of approval. We're ever after that, aren't we? Want to be approved by our parents, want to be approved by our mates, want to be approved by our friends, and ultimately want to be approved by God. But we have to know, first of all, that Jesus Christ loved you so much, He came from heaven to live a life of poverty and rejection and ultimately gave His life for you on the cross. That's how much He loved you. Once He made that atonement, this means He can come in and give you approval now. You don't have to wait until the end of your life and say, did I live a good enough life? Did I do enough good works for God to accept me? First of all, You never could anyway. There's no way we can do enough good to offset our bad. By the way, I might mention again, I know I mention this a lot, but our sin is not a behavioral problem, so it cannot be fixed with changing our behavior. Our sin is a condition. Sin can no more be fixed by changing our behavior than cancer can. You can be as good as you want to, and it won't take away your cancer, because it's a condition. That's what our sin problem is. And so, it is not only a behavioral thing. But we don't have to come to the end of our life and say, did I live a good enough life? Jesus has done that for you. Jesus is your propitiation. He is the atonement. He is the thing the tax collector was looking for, and that changes everything for him. 
It's inside out. It's not like religion that is outside in. If I do enough good on the outside, I'll be approved on the inside. No, no. Because of the gospel, you can be sure of God's acceptance. You can be sure of His love. He has seen you at the bottom. He knows you at your worst. And you know what He's done about it? He loved you enough to send His Son for you anyway. John 3.16 What a blessing. It's not what you deserve. It's what He has done. So rather than lift ourselves up in self-righteousness, know that it is Christ in you that makes the difference. Not because you're some wonderful, wonderful person. You see the difference? Outside in or inside out. We can say with Paul, Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I agree with Paul as far as me, and we have to agree as far as each and every one of us. In our flesh dwells no good thing. Anything that I might, any life I might lead, does not come because I'm a wonderful person. It comes because of what Christ has done in and through me. It comes from the inside. He asks a question, Paul continues here in chapter 7 of Romans, in verse 24, he asks the question, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You ever felt that way? Your flesh taken over? You try to quit this certain thing in your life and you just can't seem to quit? And you have that cry like he did, what, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He answers the question in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is inside out living that's going to give you that victory. There's nothing you can do to try to earn it with your works. Look at uh, this in closing. We see Jesus tells us several different uh, things in verse 14. He tells us who is justified. It's the publican, not Pharisee. Now again, we read this story and we think, yeah, that sounds right. We understand mercy. We understand uh, we, we're, we're all super against Phariseeism. But when Jesus said this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified I can assure you that everyone standing around Jesus, <gasps> what did he just say? This was shocking to Jesus' hearers that he went away justified. For us, uh, we're so used to reading these stories, but still for us it should be shocking too. An undeserving man justified. You know why that's such a blessing? Because I'm an undeserving man and I'm justified. And friend, you are an undeserving man, a woman, and, you're just, and you can be justified. In salvation, it means that God declares you righteous. Justified, never sin. That's what justified means. Heaven is your eternal home. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, Titus 3.5. Be merciful to me, is what this publican's prayer was. Any other way to salvation, friend, is bogus. I call, uh, I call uh, Oprah 100% wrong. There's not many ways to heaven. There's one way to heaven. She tries to uh, change that. And it might be a nice sentiment, but it's not a Bible sentiment. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the way. Only one way, he said. I am the door, he says. And we need to put our faith and trust in him. The Pharisee may not have been an extortioner or unjust or an adulterer. He may have tithed and done good things and with greater devotion than most. He may not have sinned in the ways that the publican did. But what but all of those things still did not save the Pharisee. What, did, what saved the Pharisee or would have saved him is exactly what would have saved the publican. And today, so many of us, you may find yourself, you might say that I'm more the publican than I am the Pharisee. I've lived and done things that I shouldn't have done. I'm not proud of the way that my life 
is going. Can I tell you today, the same Savior that was able to point to that wicked, rotten, horrible publican and say, he went away justified. Hallelujah! That means every single one of us can walk away justified. Praise the Lord. That's who's justified. Secondly, look at who is humble. Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. The Pharisee is guilty of self-exaltation, building himself up. Thank you that I'm not like other men are. But after the parable, he was humbled by Christ. The braggart, the one who thinks too highly of himself, is headed for a fall. Can I encourage you today, stay humble or you'll be humble. That's really a lesson we see here too. And by the way, if you're humbled by God, it'll be much more humbling than if you humble yourself. <laughs> who is humble? Then we also see who is exalted. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The publican humbled himself before God. And in the end, he was the exalted one. The principle of this rule works in every facet of your life. Exalting yourself is nothing but pride. And the Bible says in, G in uh, James 4, 6, God resisteth the proud. Just think about that for a moment. Do you want to be that person that God resists? We probably all have that person in our life. The one that when we see them walking toward us, we think, eh, oh no. But we're smiling, you know, like we're enjoying seeing, but inside, ugh. You don't want to be that person to the Lord, but that's what the Bible says. If we're pr proud, God resists us. He giveth grace to the humble. That's what he did to this humble publican. If men would be as concerned about their character as they are about recognition, we'd be far better men for that. Where does this parable today find you, friend? When you pray, do you do it in humility or pride? Are you living outside in, constantly obsessing over all that you are and all that you do, Desperate for the approval of others? Or are you living inside out? Sincere in the love of your Lord and Savior. Living to please Him. Not to earn something or to gain something. Just out of love for your Savior. Living, to, living to, uh, for others because of the love that you have for them. That's inside out living. You see, what we can never do outside in, He has done for us inside out. He'll change you. We, what, we need to, what we need to have changed in our hearts, in our lives, is our hearts, not our behavior. The behavior will follow it, amen? What's in the well will come up in the bucket. We need to get changed from the inside out. That's what Jesus Christ wants to do in your heart today. Outside in or inside out. Which one are you living today? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.